Chapter 14 I asked him whether he had been a member of the Aerocross, Hungarian Fascist Party. Of course I was, he replied. And what makes you a social democrat today? The same thing, one must make a living. And did you believe the Nazis? Exactly as I believe the social democrats today and the Bolsheviks tomorrow, he replied, smiling at me. Georges Faludi, My Happy Days in Hell, 1962. I really possess no appetite this evening, my professor admits. But please fry up a pork chop from the refrigerator. There is pasta also, which you could boil, as if it were a Protestant. I laugh. <laughs> Thank you. How vivid. We returned from our trip to Eastern Oregon several hours before, and my hunger is now quite sharp. I cook the meat in a cast iron pan with slices of onion, heating a pot of noodles on the next burner. Once all is ready, I sit down at the kitchen table and begin eating. Babette watches from across the red formica. If you wish, I will continue with the story of my childhood in France, she offers. Please do. She clears her throat. <clears throat> you see, the De Laurenti Tolazon family, who we lived with, gradually slid into decline following Fuchs' marriage to Zanaïd Demidov. A stream of impoverished Russian nobles placed great strain on their finances. Fouk began drinking quite heavily and also abusing narcotics. He even kept a special chamber in the Chateau du Lac decorated like a Chinese opium den. Statues and all kinds of oriental furnishings. Our friend Felix Yusupov was very fond of such excesses and no good influence in my opinion. The chateau became notorious for extravagant parties where drunkenness and scandalous behavior abounded. Zenaid clashed frequently with her husband, often simply vanishing for long periods of time. She would usually be found in the family crypt, simply staring at her two dead daughters still preserved in their glass coffins. You can imagine this fixation placed much strain on their relationship. Before long they divorced and Fouke married another princess, this time from Lebanon, though I don't remember her name. My mother eventually felt it wasn't a healthy environment, and sometimes sent me to stay at a separate mansion nearby. However, the primary stress, which tormented her throughout my early years, ended in 1939 as Europe slipped into total war. Suddenly, everyone's last concern was a kidnapped American girl from over a decade before. The next few years, Ross, were truly the best times of my life, and in many ways, you know, I haven't stopped living in them. She sips at tepid mineral water from a tall glass. It seems whenever people speak of a rival to France in history, it must be the Germans. But of course, Germany is a very modern creation, which did not exist long before the 20th century. No, the great enemy of France has always been England. I well remember patriotic radio broadcasts I tuned into as a child. They signed off the air every night with the words, England, like Carthage, must perish. As the war unfolded, British forces retreated from continental Europe, our supposed allies abandoning us before fighting even ended. A complete betrayal. And then, dear old Marshal Pétain, the World War I hero, became president and worked out such a generous peace with the Germans. Do you realize his negotiations with Hitler left most of the country unoccupied, including the strategic southern coast? Well, for a defeated nation, it was better than anyone could have expected. He declared us neutral. But what happened next? English forces attacked and sunk the French navy sitting in port. An absolute slaughter. Babette's eyes shine with anger. I remain silent. 
as a prominent patriotic family, we naturally developed close connections with Pétain's government in Vichy. Like thousands of other Frenchmen, several family friends and relatives enlisted in the Waffen-SS, which was the German Foreign Legion. Among them, my childhood friend, Fouquet, a few years older, now grown into a handsome young man. They wanted to fight for France and for Europe. We never even saw our first foreign soldiers until much later, and they weren't even German. They were East Indian, either recruited from troops abandoned by the English early in the war, or volunteers who traveled from Asia directly to fight under a brave leader named Subhaschandra Bose to free their own country. Well, nobody held a grudge against them. They seemed quite nice, except for not speaking a word of French. I hesitate. A cut of meat suspended on my fork. Really? Indians fought alongside Germany and Europe during the war? I never heard of such a thing. Oh, Ross, my professor smiles. There is so much you don't know. But there is also so much I don't know. The more I learn, the more ignorant I feel. But simply look at our perspectives. Great Britain rules South Asia, an entire subcontinent for nearly 200 years, with a complete iron fist and absolute cruelty. We shall probably never know how many millions of deaths resulted from the policies, and no one cares. Those who suffered were only brown-skinned people in a distant land. Is Queen Victoria's name forever tainted? Are people who hang her picture on their wall regarded with suspicion? Of course not. We draw distinctions. An Anglophile may easily say they appreciate English culture and not immediately defend, say, the Amritsar massacre or intentional genocidal famines. But Germany invades some nearby countries, treats Europeans the same way, and we see them as evil incarnate. Imagine what happens when people display Hitler's picture. Babette pauses and smirks. Of course, years ago, I did keep a portrait of Hitler on the mantelpiece, so my example is not entirely academic. I choke. How did that go over with dinner guests? Not so well, I admit. You may notice it is gone. With any other personages, you may argue one's adoration honors their great qualities, but disregards the rest. For instance, I observe you sewed a patch of Mao Zedong on one of your jackets, but do not therefore suggest you view his murderous cultural revolution in a positive light. At this, my back straightens. No, not at all. I appreciate Mao as a great liberator of Asia. His policies killed millions, I know, but it is for breaking the foreign chokehold on China that I admire him. Babette jerks her head. Exactly. And I have a similar view of Hitler. He will one day be recalled, much as any of history's conquerors are, from Genghis Khan to Hannibal Barker. All leaders with bloody pasts, but who can be recognized for their great qualities. My nose wrinkles. It has always bothered me, the way Nazi cruelty towards Jews and other Europeans becomes so heavily emphasized in a way that obscures what colonial power is inflicted on subject peoples around the world. Babette flings up her hands. It drives me mad, especially in academia, where I have spent my life. Just look at the history department course catalog. You can always find a class solely on the Jewish Holocaust, but try learning about the faith of American Indians. Some professor might mention them in passing or offer an occasional cultural course. Imagine that. Instead of facing uncomfortable parts of their own history, Americans focus on misdeeds that took place half a world away. Babette sighs. I have become distracted from my story. 
At any rate, when I met real German soldiers, they were not monsters. I encountered them often at mass. Such polite young men. I could certainly understand why young Fouquet chose to fight with them. And he likely died with them. We last heard news of him at a battle in northern Germany, and then nothing. My professor sniffs and nibbles at a Manischewitz cracker. So... In 1944, France descended into fierce civil war with countless people killed. German sympathizers, as well as unpopular individuals, were murdered en masse. Our benefactor, Count Fouque de la Rente Tolaison, the hero fighter pilot of World War I, was taken away by resistance members and shot against a wall. The Chateau du Lac burned to a shell. Now, partisan fighters in France were quite small in number, but by the end of the war, it seemed everyone was a secret member. For most of my relatives, it was too late to change sides. Among descendants of the survivors, I represent... She pauses. An embarrassing link with the past, and it is much better I remain far enough away not to cause trouble. She takes another drink and sets the glass down hard. Even when I visit, social engagements are sometimes difficult. One time years ago, we visited a town where I occasionally stayed back in those days. My cousin knew the mayor, a man around my age. We went sightseeing with him and a small group of people, which included American tourists. Now, in this place, there formerly existed a small chapel from the Middle Ages. During an Allied air raid near the end of the war, some incendiary bombs fell nearby and it caught fire. Compared to other tragedies at the time, this seemed of little consequence. But we walked by the old site and the mayor told everyone how charming it had been. One American asked what happened and he replied, Oh, the awful Germans burned it, you know. The tourists all nodded sympathetically. Well, I was outraged. I said, no, they didn't. I was there. It was your own damned airplanes. As you can imagine, they didn't like hearing that at all. Okay, so your relatives were all being killed as collaborators, but obviously you survived. What happened then? I ask. Babette scoffs. <laughs> With my family either murdered or scattered, I could not remain anonymous anymore. The new authorities soon discovered my identity and shipped me back to the United States. At 17, under the law, I belonged to my birth mother who lived in Yakima. I sailed back across the ocean with only what possessions fit in my trunk. Remember, this was a journey into the land of the enemy, which of course filled me with absolute fright. Then, adding insult, when I passed through customs in New York, officials confiscated my little portrait of Hitler. It made me furious, but what could I do? I stepped off a train in central Washington and met this person who people said was my real mother. For me, it seemed as foreign as a trip to the moon. This simple girl who bore me was still only in her mid-thirties. Years before, she married a man called Ellsworth and had two children with him, my half-sisters. I never liked him, but from then on had to use his terrible name. In France, my family were the Bonafonts. A font is like a fountain where fresh water springs from, and in southern France, groundwater often tastes blackish and salty. Bon means good, of course, so my aristocratic relatives descended from people who controlled the good water. Do you know how Ellsworth translates? It's English, purely insulting just on that note, and the L was a medieval unit of currency. The smallest unit of currency. All of a sudden, my very name declared I was worthless. 
and that is what I have kept until this very day. She halts, face petulant. I think for a moment. So you didn't take your husband Albert's name. He used yours? That must have been quite unusual for the times. When was that, anyway? Babette shifts in her chair. The legs squeak against linoleum. Really, Ross, your question's lack any propriety. To continue... Yakima felt intolerable. I just wanted to escape, and after several months, simply bolted. The first night, I spent in a field, then caught the first train out of town, which carried me as far as Portland. I slept on the streets downtown and survived through prostitution, while my English improved from sheer necessity. Then I discovered a Catholic charity. It still exists, now called the Blanchette House. They recognized potential in me and arranged educational scholarships. Out of gratefulness, I still give them money every year. I studied very hard and graduated from Portland University in 1949. Before earning higher degrees, I worked many jobs, once more or less as a spy for the Department of Interior. My appearance has always been somewhat androgynous, and alternately passing for a man or woman allowed more than usual access. I traveled through towns in rural Idaho, searching out people who cheated on farm subsidies, and would begin by ingratiating myself with local church leaders. Who knows a community better? After gaining their confidence, I would reveal the nature of my work, but then it became quite curious. They happily turned in corrupt members of their congregation, who, I discovered later, were notoriously stingy contributors to the collection plate. The moral is, stay on your pastor's good side and tithe regularly. But what about Germaine? I ask. Did your mother avoid being shot like Fouke? Ah, Babette muses. Now there was a woman, my mother. To answer your question, yes, she survived. Though after the war, as everything disintegrated, I lost her. But what she managed still impresses me. In 1947, she portrayed herself as a veteran of the glorious French resistance to a Jewish aid agency who then subsidized her voyage to America. We reunited in Portland while I was still a student. She soon moved to Nanaimo, British Columbia, and became the governess for a wealthy family. Years later, I remember, she lectured at a church while visiting something or other about the horrors of Nazism and how she bravely fought fascists during the war. I sat in the back, barely able to keep a straight face. Afterwards, she pulled me aside and said, If you speak a word, I'll cut your throat. Oh, I couldn't believe her audacity. But this sort of thing was not so uncommon. For instance, if you read the autobiography of our Russian friend Felix Yusupov, he is remarkably silent on activities during the war. But of course Yusupov hated the communists who slaughtered his relatives, and association with my family certainly indicated his sympathies. You possess your own values, and I have mine, but most people are simple opportunists. They support prevailing powers, but realign when the status quo shifts. It is only human. I shake my head. That's true, I suppose, but still awful. How can you admire Orwell and Sot and all the others in your library who stood up against fascism? My professor smiles, her lips thin. It is true. Orwell and Sot were works of genius and were personally brave, while I myself am a coward. Yet I am a student of survival. I may have unorthodox ideas or heroes who are not popular in this time and place, but make certain these passions do not lead near danger. 
Some people are less cautious. She squints at me. I shrug. It's true, things are getting pretty intense at protests downtown lately. I'm careful and stay safe, though. Babette rolls her eyes. To be careful is keeping your head down. It may seem like a game now, but I have seen what happens to nails when the hammer descends. Do you have time for me to finish? Before the authorities knock on my door and arrest you? There isn't much more to tell. Oh, by all means. I'd hate to spend my one phone call from jail hearing it. Ah, Ross. You can be quite droll. At any rate, my education continued, eventually earning a doctorate at the University of Bordeaux. A well-known French historian named Henri Guillemont took me as his lover and quite furthered my career. You know, in general I find sexual relations with males abominable, though often useful. My advice is, if you must have sex with a man, do it in the style of dog. That's why you don't have to see the ugly face. So, after university, I began the career I love, teaching history and French and Spanish, later geology, astronomy, and geography, first at Portland State, then for a short time at Reed, just across the street here. Eventually, I was among the first group of teachers hired when Portland Community College opened in 1964, and I have stayed there ever since. She tips her glass dry and sets it down firmly. But, say la vie, that is enough for tonight. At least you learned something worthwhile, perhaps. Babette scratches absentmindedly at her neck. The two punctures have swelled somewhat. She shrugs, smiles, and leaves the kitchen. I remain seated, half my plate of food cold and uneaten.